The Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. Let's talk about perfection, which is a big issue with artists. They want things to be perfect, and they hesitate to show their work until it's perfect. Oh, yeah. And uh, I have a quote from a book that I read called Handmade by Gary Rakowski, and it says, um, Perfection kills the spirit. It makes me suffer when instead I should be happy for making this work. Perfectionism kills and strangles me and prevents me from taking any chances, from being curious, from enjoying what accomplishments I have made. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. <laughs> no. But at the same time, it's pretty realistic, don't you think? Yes. I mean, we see so many students that don't print their work because it's not perfect. Right. You have uh, students that sign up to do a print review and they don't feel like they can send you the prints because they're not perfect. And we have to tell them that's not the idea. The idea is to send the prints, have me review them with you, and then have you work on getting to the next step. The print review isn't designed for you to send me perfect prints. Yeah, so definitely we have this issue with... uh students not wanting to show their work until it's perfect and if it's perfect in a sense there's nothing to say right right and at the same time they think it's perfect but then if there's a real problem they don't see it because if they saw the problem then they would have fixed it right right and sometimes what we think is a problem is not a problem (laughs) you know We show our work to somebody and um, they like it, they enjoy it, they say how beautiful it is. And then we're like, well, what do you think about this area or this part right here? And they're like, what? What do you mean? You know, I think it's nice. Uh, I like that color. I like that paint stroke, that paintbrush stroke. And they don't understand what the problem is or... (laughs) They don't see the problem. They don't see a problem. (laughs) Why is that a problem? Yes. And we're like, well, that's yes. much more of a problem than the other things we are worried about. Right. You know, like a completely empty foreground or a huge sky that has nothing in it. Right. You know, and they're like, well, there's no dust in the sky. Yeah, sure, there's no dust, but that doesn't mean that it's an interesting sky. <laughs> right. Know? Or yeah. paying attention to where they cropped images in the viewfinder. You know, do they have the top of the cloud? Do they have the sides of the cloud? Yeah, we crop randomly. Yes. Or there's it, no even thinking when it yeah, comes it to cropping because whatsoever. the frame, you're like, well, my lens couldn't go any wider. Yeah, well, use a different lens or just do two photos and merge them together, you know. But you can't just cut the clouds randomly. You have to have a logic to it. You, you know? do. It has to end somewhere that is logical, you know. Yeah, but I think the main thing with perfection is that eventually moving on to a higher quality work means understanding that perfection is not the goal. Right. That's what Salvador Dali said, don't worry about perfection because you'll never reach it. It's, it's an unattainable goal. And so to me, we talked a lot in a previous podcast about beginners. Beginners are concerned with perfection. I think that advanced photographers or masterful photographers, they realize that it doesn't matter really. No. And I know uh, the Navajos in the Navajo culture, they believe there is no perfection in nature. And so, for them, there's no perfection in art. You have masterful rug weavers that will deliberately weave a mistake or something into a pattern because nothing is supposed to be perfect. Yeah, they want to introduce imperfection. Mm -hmm. Because in a sense, perfection is accepting imperfection. Yes. That's probably the logic behind it, you know. And the thing that's so hard for a lot of people to understand that the concept of perfection is that imperfection is perfection. If you look at nature, like right here, we're sitting in the middle of the Sonoran Desert. Is it perfect? Well, no. I mean, the bushes, the sorrows, the trees, they just grow randomly, right? right? So it's very imperfect. But that imperfection is the perfection in a way. That's what makes it beautiful. But you would not have thought about it. Yes. In art, there's an important concept, which is the concept of accidents. And uh, photographers seem to not want accidents. You know, they want to control everything. You don't have that problem with painters. You know, they do a brush strokes and they leave it the way it is. You know, it's not perfect, but it's also the imperfection that makes it interesting. The fact that it's accidental. Right. right? 
And that's what I enjoyed watching Bob Ross painting on television because he was always talking about, you know, these happy accidents. You know, yeah. he wasn't worried about perfection. Well, you got the point that happy accidents are one of the goals of art. Yes. But it's not going to happen in a lot of other mediums. If you are an engineer, there's no such thing as happy accidents. They're just accidents, and you don't want them. <laughs> right. You know? Yes, he, he, yes. But at the same time, it's happy accidents that sometimes make you make a breakthrough. You know, you discover something. Oh, yeah. You understand that you would never have thought about it if you hadn't made that mistake. And it's true in photography, it's true in art, but it's also true in science, in research. You know, a lot of uh, researchers find something that they've been looking at because of a mistake. You know? Right, right. You know? They make a mistake and they find out that it leads them somewhere they wouldn't have never gone to before. Right, or something that they didn't have control over, you know, that they weren't in complete control over, and it just, whatever happened, happened. And, you know, that's what I like about doing watercolor paints is I like to do the wet-on-wet method and just letting the color and the water just kind of do its thing. And, you know, sure, I may add a little bit more of a pigment in certain areas, but I really like what happens by just letting the water and the pigment do its own thing yeah. and then just building up from that. It's one of the differences between painters and photographers. Painters not only accept accidents, they invite them. Mm -hmm. Like you said, a wet-on-wet -wet method, there's going to be a lot of accidents and that's what you want. Right. You, you want to see what happens if you let the water and the paint move in wherever it wants, right? Right. And then you work around that. Yes. But in photography, there, in the mind of most photographers, there can be no accidents. You know, everything has to be controlled. And I think that probably stops photography from being an art form, you know, in some ways. I think we also forget that in things that are handmade, that there's going to be imperfections, and that in itself is beautiful. You know, that these imperfections that you see are also beautiful because you can tell that whatever was made, whether it's a handmade leather binding to hold drafting paper or watercolor paper, anything leather that's leather bound or stitching, or there's a beauty in not having everything perfect. Yeah. And obviously, you can't do perfect work when you start. No. Because you don't have the skills, you know. No. And uh, if you let that stop you, then you're never going to do anything. You're never going to show it. You're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to complete it. It's not perfect, so I'm quitting, right? Right, I'm right. going to try again when I'm better, you know. I mean, how many photographers have we met, that, and even painters, that tell us, I'm going to do this when I'm good enough. You know, I'm not good enough yet, so I'm not going to do it. Right. Uh, when or they ask me what subject should I work on, right, that's a common question. And I tell them, well, work on the subject that excites me the most, the one that you're passionate about. And they're like, well, I don't want to do that because I'm not good enough. I'll do it when I'm better, right? Right. Well, so, okay, so what do you do in the meantime? Work on something you're not interested in? In order to get better? You don't get better working at things you're not interested in. Right. You can only get better if you do something that you're really passionate about because you push it farther that way. Right. I know on some of your one-on-one -on -one in studio consulting, sometimes you'll ask students why they haven't processed their images from a particular workshop that we just returned from, and they said, because I'm waiting to get better or I'm waiting to process these other ones, and you're like, well, are you excited about those other ones? And they're like, no, I'm really excited about the images that I just created, but I'm not good enough now to process those images, so I'm gonna wait and do these other ones first. Yeah. Or they tell me, I'll do it, but first I have to learn how to use Lightroom, or have to learn how to yes. use Photoshop. Yes. Okay, well, how are you going to learn to use Photoshop if you don't practice, right? Right. Well, uh, you know, they don't know, right? It's somehow going to happen. They are going to do some studies of Photoshop and Lightroom doing boring work, I guess. Uh, right. You learn nothing. You, you can only learn by doing things that you're really interested in, you know. And it seems to me that perfection is more of a hurdle than anything else. It, it is. It stops people. It does, yeah. And it's very interesting that the quote that you read, it, you don't, you're not happy. Well, no, we are not happy because if you listen to Dali, you can never have perfection. So you're looking for something which is impossible. Right. Perfection doesn't exist, you know, that's the thing. 
And Dali really knew what he was talking about because you look at his paintings, you know, the serious ones, you know, the ones that he did uh, very carefully. And they are, as far as we can tell, perfect. Oh, yes. You know, I mean, with a, painted with a small, yeah. fine paintbrush? Uh, for hair, sable brush. Oh, goodness. You know, I remember looking at uh, the original of, uh, I think it's 10 apparitions of Lenin on a piano, where you have a piano and then you have these little images of Lenin. Right. Which is obviously a surreal work. And I had the impression before seeing that piece, which is very large, that uh, Dali did crazy stuff. You know? The thing that we know him to do, which is, uh, you know, empty canvases or or things that are done very quickly, you know, drawings uh, that are done quickly, you know, and so on. And when I saw that, I'm like, this requires an enormous amount of work. And not only that, but it's very, very tedious work. Oh, yeah. I mean, with a very small brush, you know, uh, uh, I mean, it's at the level of OCD, literally. You know, there is nothing absolutely wrong with the piece whatsoever. You can't see any brush strokes. Oh, no. It's extremely polished. Right. And yet, uh, it has no interest in perfection. So how do you reconcile the two, right? It's on another level, you know, and we just don't know what perfection means to somebody until we really look at their work, you know. Right. Everybody has a different concept, which brings a very interesting aspect of perfection, which is that we are more concerned with what people are going to see, quote-unquote, wrong with our work than with what we see wrong with it. Right. Because very often what we see wrong with it, others don't see it. Right. And in the same book that I quoted, the author talks about uh, woodworking, and he talks about the fact that when he does, uh, let's say, a piece of furniture, he's very often unhappy about it because he sees something which is imperfect. And he came to understand that very often other people don't see it. Right. So he found a technique to sort of uh, judge whether that imperfection is real or not. And that is, he would show it to a friend of his that's also a woodworker, and he would let him find out if there was imperfections or mistakes in it. And most of the time, the other woodworker couldn't find anything. So then he would point out to what he thought was an imperfection, like a little crack or something. And the other guy would say, oh, where is it? Right. And he would point out, and after looking for a while, the other guy would say, oh, yeah, I see it, but it doesn't matter. Right. right? And so he was like, oh, okay, so I can put it for sale now. Because <laughs> it, it's imperfect according to me, but nobody else can see it. You know? Right. We are overly critical. I think all artists, it's not just him, you know. For things that people will never see, you know. We spend too much time with it, too right. much time with the work. Do you think perfection, that it comes from us worrying about what others are going to think about our work than us just doing what we love to do and what makes us happy? Yeah, I think we become one with the work, and so we think that the work is us. But the work is not us. The work is the work, and we are ourselves, you know. It's very separate things. Right. And when you put something out there for the public to see, for an audience, you have to realize that it's no longer yours. It is what it is. It's separate. It's outside of you. You know, you let it go. You know. Right. And they can't let it go. That's the problem that a lot of beginners have. They can't let it go. They will put something up uh, on an art show and then get the piece back and make it better, quote-unquote, and, you know, improve on it or, or tell you endlessly why, you know, they could have done better. You know. Right. They just can't let it go. I mean, how many students have we seen that present their work and they keep telling us all the things that are wrong with it? To the point where on print reviews we require that they say nothing bad about their work. Oh, yes. Otherwise, it's a litany of bad things that they have found in that work. And right. none of them really matter. Right. And the things that are really a problem, they don't see them. Like the big blue sky that is useless. They could have 10% of it, but be just as oh, well. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. Well, what other things do you well, have to say about perfection? I think one of the issues, and I put that in my notes, is that obviously we start a medium, whether it's photography, painting, or whatever, because we have seen the work of other masters and we want to do as well as them. And so there is this assumption that the work of his masters is perfect. Yes. And until we can reach the same level of perfection, we are not even worthy of showing our work to anybody. Right. Right. You, know? you title it, Those Who Came Before Us. Yeah, the, the masters, kind of, the, the ones that yes. created work before we created our own work. What do I say about that? You said their work is an example of what can be done with a medium, whatever medium that is. Yeah, and I think, you know, until 
we realize that we are not them, you know, right. that we are ourselves. That work that came before us, we see it as the thing that we have to do. Right. You know, we have to do exactly the same level of quality, the same composition, the same printing, the same everything. Right. Not realizing for one second that we can't because we are not them. Right. You know? And so this concept of perfection is really skewed because we really have to worry with our own concept of perfection. Their concept of perfection is not ours necessarily. Right. And so we try to abide by a standard that's unreachable, basically. Right. Nobody can do better than Ansel Adams. Right. Nobody. Right. You know, but anybody can do different. Right. And I think that that's the thing that's really the problem is we can do something different. We don't really have to strive to do the same. And that's what a lot of students don't understand. They're like, everything has already been done. I can't do this. I can't photograph Monument Valley because everybody has photographed it before and they've done a great job. Right. That's totally true. Yes. No question asked here. You know, it's been photographed millions of times and some people have done phenomenal work. But we can do it differently. Yes. And that's really the goal of art. The goal of art is not perfection, it's difference. Right. You want to do it differently. You want to do it your own way. But you can't do it your own way if you try to do as well as somebody else. Right. Because by definition, you're trying to redo what we have done. Yes. You know. And then you have masters make it look easy. It is not. It just looks that way. We find that out by trying to do it ourselves. Yeah. I mean, the common statement about that is when you ask somebody how long did it take to create, let's say, a photograph, and they are masterful, you know, they really have reached that level of mastery in their work, they'll tell you, well, it took four hours, it took six hours, you know. It did not take very long. Right. right? But then what they add is it took 15 years of learning, of right. practice. And right. so... What people miss is the fact that the time that it took to create a specific piece isn't the idea. It's not really the important thing. The important thing is the time that it took to learn how to create that specific piece. Right. That uh, the 15 years of study are required. And oh, then yes. how long it takes you to do a, a particular work is unimportant. And that's really a, a factor when people sell their work because clients ask all the time, how long did it take to do that? And you're like, I don't know two, three, four, five, six hours, a day, two days. You're like, then why is it so expensive? Well, <laughs> you got to pay me for the 15 years of learning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, yes. I'm not going to make a living otherwise. When a master performs a piece, whether it's music or makes a brush stroke or turns a ball, you have here that it seems like it takes no time at all, and that's true, especially when we are watching a master work. Yeah. We watch them and we think, wow, this didn't take any time at all or you know it took very little time and we're not taking into account the years of practice and, yeah, and study and, and study. of course the conclusion that we have if we don't know any better you know right. not my conclusion but the conclusion of the person that does this as an aficionado you know an amateur is that it's easy yes yes well sure it's easy for them now you go and try it right you know yeah because when they're watching the master work it looks easy, and I know from experience that when you're watching a master work and it looks easy, that it is not easy. <laughs> I mean, r right now, photography for me is easy. Yes. But it has not been easy all the time. No. And it wasn't easy in the beginning. The fact that I have practiced and stuck with it for a very long time is what makes it easy. Yes. But I did not give up. I did not let it discourage me. And I did not try to seek perfection. Right. To me, that's one of the big breakthroughs in, in my artwork, my career, and that is that I no longer try to be perfect. Right. You know, I, I have no concern with that. Actually, people point to things, and I'm like, well, I know it's there, but it doesn't bother me. And they right. say, well, it bothers me. I say, then look for the work of somebody who doesn't have that. Exactly. <laughs> you know, because I'm sure there's another artist out there that doesn't have that particular thing that you don't like. It becomes a matter of test. Right. Imperfection is no longer imperfection if you know it's there and you're okay with it. Right. Because you cannot reach perfection. So eventually, it's what we're really dealing with here is the difference of expectations on the part of one person and another person. Right. And if the expectations are not met, and what you do is perfectly fine according to you, then that person needs to move on and find somebody else. You know, there's no point in discussing this. Right. I have made a decision that I'm not concerned with that. You know? Right. I mean, how many students do I tell the fact that I'm not really trying to make super sharp images? 
Yes. They're like, well, that's not my goal. They're like, but should only be the goal of photography? Well, it could be the goal of some aspects of photography, some photographers. Right. Maybe that's your goal, make images that are super sharp. It's not my goal. So it's not an imperfection. It's not that I used the wrong camera or did it the wrong way. That was not my idea. Right. That was not my purpose. And they're shocked at that. And I have to tell them that they have to make a decision about whether or not they want photograph with lots of detail or, or some other type of photograph. Right. Well, your best-selling image at Grand Canyon was Yavapai Dusk, what we call Yavapai Dusk. And it was taken with 4x5 camera. But in one area of the photograph near the right-hand side is a blurry area where the pinyon pine tree was blowing in the wind. Yeah. And it was just a little blurry. And I remember you sent it off to be printed because you wanted to have some very large prints of this made for the Grand Canyon show. And he called you up on the phone and said, are you aware that it is not sharp in this one yeah. area here? <laughs> it's not perfect. It's I mean, not he, perfect, yes. He did not yes. say that, but that's what he meant. Yes. And I had to tell him, it's perfectly okay. I know it's there, I'm fine with it, and it sounds very well. Yes. And he's like, okay, but just know if there's no refund. I'm like, Yes, fine, he wanted fine. you yeah. to know that he was not going to refund your money yeah. if he printed it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not a mistake, my friend. And what yeah. is so interesting is the years that we sold that image over and over and over again, I mean, it was the best-selling image, not one customer that bought that image pointed to that little area and said, it's blurry here. Yeah. Those who bought it never even saw it. No. But those who did not buy it would constantly point out to yes. that area. Especially yes. photographers. Yes. And again, it's because of a different concept of perfection. For them, right. that was unacceptable. For me, that was perfectly fine. Right. And it wasn't fine because people were buying it. But it was fine because trees move. Wind yes. makes branches shake, you know. And so blurriness is part of the landscape. It's part of nature. Right. I don't see a problem with that. I'm not trying to pretend that there is no wind. Right. You know? Right. I mean, the wind is part of... And you can't a... control it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't control it, you know. And... <laughs> so what do you do? You know, get rid of a fantastic photograph because it has a little bit of blur in the tree. That's ridiculous. Right. Know? But how many people do that? A lot. Yes. You know? Yes. They may never print their best work because somewhere, somehow, there's a little problem. Right. And they're afraid that everybody's going to point to that one little area. Yeah, you can't be afraid as an artist, you know, that's the thing. And in general, you know, you can't be afraid if you want to be successful, you know, because fear paralyzes people. It does. Uh, but I'm wondering if perfection also paralyzes oh, totally. artists. Well, the goal for perfection, if you believe there is such a thing, which really there isn't, is a fear. You know, it's yeah. a paralyzing fear. Right. It's not perfect. You know, I can't enter it in a contest. I can't sell it. I don't know what to do or what to say if somebody points out you know it's an insecurity they have a very low level of self-confidence and uh, you gain self-confidence by saying hey listen I know it's there I'm okay with it and if you don't like it go find another one that doesn't have a problem right that's perfectly fine but as far as I'm concerned I'm not changing it I like it the way it is <laughs> and I really do I mean I but the whole thing is coming to terms with what you really want to do what's important for you right and that's why I say that you can't really go on very long trying to duplicate the work of masters that influenced you because their concept of perfection is different from you. Right. You know? And you may be trying to reach uh, a certain level that you're not supposed to reach. That's unimportant to you. you right. Know? And also you feel completely bound, you know, almost like you're handcuffed in a way because you have to do this, you have to do that, and, and that's not you. Right. But you feel that you have to do it because without really knowing why, that's what you should be doing. You know? Right. Uh, and the minute you let go, then uh, things open up, you know. You've got to be yourself, that's the thing. And the problem is, obviously, knowing who you are. Yes. Which a lot of beginners, they have no answer to that. Who are you? Well, I, I don't know, they just tell you their name and their address, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't tell me much, you know. <laughs> tell me more about what you want, what you like, you know, what you don't like. And they really don't know. What they like is the work of whoever influences them, and they're sort of goaded by that, you know. Yes. They have no other insights, you know. It takes years for people to realize that they have to let go. Letting go is so difficult, you know, for people. Right. Is that a hummingbird? Yeah. <laughs> a hummingbird just came and left. <laughs> I don't know if you wanted to read some of these other quotes that you wrote or what. Well, read another one. Let's see what happens. Um, the skills one needs to make beautiful things with our hands 
can seem distant and unreachable. Masters create distance with us through their work. It looks easy, but we learn it is hard. Keep practicing until the notes have the precision they require. Keep practicing until the work is transformed, until the work transforms you, until study becomes mastery. Yeah. I mean, we don't have that problem when it comes to music, for example. We realize that a quack is a quack. <laughs> yeah. If somebody sings oh, yeah. of tune or plays of tune or their instrument is not tuned, you know, right. we know it right away. Right. But when it comes to photography, people don't know that uh, a color can be completely off tune, could be completely out of balance. Oh, yes. Right. They're like, there's nothing wrong with that. Because, in a sense, they haven't really learned the language of photography or, or painting, which is the same. Right. It's not intuitive. Right? No. It's more intuitive with music because there's obviously such a thing as the right note and the wrong note. I mean, after all, we can literally use a calibration instrument to tune a guitar, for example, or an instrument, you know, right. based on the frequency of, of a key, you know, the key of G that has a frequency, you know, and we can use a frequency meter to basically find out if that G is the proper G or if it's off, you know. But there's no such thing in color. Right. right? There's no such thing in, in contrast, you know. And in a sense, you have to develop that sense yourself. And Ansel Adams had a very strong intuition about the right contrast. Yes. But it was the contrast according to him, which is a very large range of tones. You know. Right. That may not be my sense, or that might not be no. the sense of another photographer. Well, I know I have a problem creating a very large range of tones. That's not my style. And Edward Weston's was different. Much higher contrast. Yes. Well, I don't think he had a white point or a black point either. Didn't he have lots of mid-tones, Edward Weston? Yeah, he had a lot of mid-tones. He, he did not always have a white point or a black point, but he also had a more reduced range of tones because of that. Yes, and, uh, that's true. When people look at Weston's work, they don't realize that either. Right. You know, they don't realize that he did not have the same goal as Ansel Adams at all, which is why Weston is not known for landscapes as much, because that range of tone, I think that Weston realized... I'm not sure about that, you know, that's just my guess, that uh, Adams had claimed a sort of spot, you know, in the world of photography by creating landscapes that had a full range of tones, you know, from zone one to zone six or seven or eight. Right. And he wasn't doing that, and so landscapes, in a sense, were going to be always compared to Adams. Uh. But in portraits or, or in scenes that were low contrast or super high contrast, then he could do his own thing. Right? Yes. You know? And so the subject matter became also of importance to him. And I think that that's a very important lesson right there, that subject matter sort of plays up the level of perfection or imperfection that you want. You know, That if you do certain subjects, you're going to be compared to certain people. You know? Right. But if you let go of these subjects and you pick another one, then in a sense the world is yours. Nobody cares. Right? Mm -hmm. You know. So you have to find your own way of doing things. You know, right. that's, the thing. that's the way out of perfection. Because once you do your own thing and there's no more point of reference, then the whole concept of perfection goes out of the window. It does. Because the perfection that people seek is a reference to another artist. Right. If you decide that you are your own reference, then they like it or not. You know, right. That's basically as simple as that. I mean, for me, I realize that the minute I start changing the colors dramatically, there's no more point of reference because people don't do that, right? So it's no longer about whether or not that color is accurate, which is one of the big things in landscape photography, in color landscape photography, is making very accurate colors so that they're very close to what people would see, you know, even more aesthetic than what you would find in the landscape. Right. But that's always based on finding the proper tone for a particular area. The minute I decided that, you know, the proper tone, they can just go buy it some other place, right? Or they can just open their window and look at the landscape, right? I'm just going to make colors that are mine. At this point, there's no more point of reference. Right. Or the point of reference become me, where I'm more successful in my tonal arrangement in this photo or in that photo. But it, the point of reference is internal and not external. And at that point, the purpose of seeking perfection goes out of the window. Right. It's no longer a concern of mine. Yes. You know? I'm just trying to be truer to myself, not closer to somebody else. There's no point of reference that's external. It's, uh, I think, a point that... You want students to reach, most of them don't, but it's really what you want them to reach, where they are more happy with their work than with the work of another artist. Yes. You know, but when they look at their work and they compare it to the work of other artists, they prefer their work right. for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. you know, not because they are pretentious or blind, or 
we know that beginners are in love with their own work for the wrong reasons, you know. Yes. But that's because we don't know anything. But once you actually know what you're looking for and you make it happen in your work, that's a source of satisfaction. That exceeds the source of satisfaction of being able to compare your work to somebody else and say, I'm almost at the same level or I'm able to do the same thing. I mean, I suppose it's the same in painting, right? Yeah, I think so. I think you choose your colors, you choose your subject. I think when you make those decisions, you can free yourself from perfection, but you have to be aware of it. You have to be aware well, of what Well, the whole issue of perfection is, you know, to say it once again, but you cannot reach perfection. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you do a painting or when you take a photograph and you process it? Well, what happens is that if you don't know any better, you want to be perfect in every area. Right. That's not possible because perfection doesn't exist, so you're not going to have 100% success in perfection. What the master knows is that you want to be perfect where it matters, yes. and you want to let go of the rest, right. being perfect in the things that don't matter. Right. Like with me, sharpness or no sharpness, I don't really care. I'm not trying to make hyper-sharp photographs. So I let go of that. But then color means color a matters lot to and you. Form. Right. Color and form matter. Right. So I want to have the finest color that I can create right. and make the form as aesthetically pleasing as I can. Yes. The rest, I don't really care. Right. And at that point, you have now made a choice as to what areas matter, what areas don't matter. It has nothing to do with perfection. Right. And you focus on what matters and you let go of what doesn't matter. Right. As opposed to the beginner that wants to work on everything because everything matters. If you don't know what matters, then either nothing matters, which you probably don't do art, or everything matters and you become totally obsessed with perfection. Right. But I, re I remember even when I was taking drawing and painting classes in college, even if it was just like life drawings, drawing nudes in the classroom, I remember our teacher coming by and looking at our drawings and pointing to areas that were important in areas that were less important and to not worry about that, but right. worry about this. Yeah, that's very good advice. You know? yeah. 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 And I think that helped me a lot with drawing and painting was uh, his remarks when he would walk by the room and say that. Not only just on my drawings and paintings, but I would listen and look at what he said about other students' drawings and paintings. And that's the whole key, is listening and believing that they actually know what they're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we have a lot of students that just don't believe what we say. And that's a problem because we know what we're talking about and progress for them comes from listening and using the information we give them. If they don't listen, if they don't believe it, we never see them again. Right. Because they are not obviously going to come back with the same problem. They know we're going to point out to the same thing again. And so they just continue to do this on their own or they quit or they continue making the same low quality work, you know. But there's no point coming back uh, to seek our advice with the same exact thing. You right. Know? You've got to make a change, right? Right. I think that's one of the key uh, of people that move forward, whether it's in art or even in business. You have to acknowledge your mistakes and you have to listen to the master and when it's important, make the change, you know. Mm -hmm. And trust the advice that they give you. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we see that all the time. You know? Right. If you come and you want advice and we give you advice and you don't listen to the advice, then what else can we do? Right? Right. Not much. Right. <laughs> you know? No, I remember with my life drawing teacher, every time you know we put our work up for critiques, I listened very carefully at everything he said about my work, and I made sure that the next critique, that all of the mistakes that I had made were not going to be present in the next critique. And I learned from that, you know. I didn't understand yeah. some of the things that he was saying during the critique until the next drawing when I was actually applying certain things that he said. You need to be aware of this. You need to do this. Yeah. Let this go. Don't worry about that. What um, we don't hear from students that actually don't want to take the advice is, this does not matter to me. We don't hear that. And that means that they really have not made a decision as to what's important and what's not. Right. Because if somebody comes to me and says, well, there's not that many details, my immediate response will be, well, it's not important to me. And so I can use actually low-resolution cameras because I'm more concerned with the overall effect. And a lot of my work is about making a photograph that looks more like a painting than a photograph. And the first and most important difference between photographs and paintings is that paintings have less detail than photographs. So it's totally intentional. If I want to make a photo that looks more like a painting, i got to get rid of details because it's never going to work otherwise. It's going to be more like a photograph. Right. right. 
I mean, pure photographers have a massive amount of detail. That's the number one thing. Painters tend to have far less detail. Yes. So my job is actually to remove detail. So it's more than just a lack of interest or concern with detail level. It's also the desire to actually remove detail. So they become less important. Right. So that the focus or the interest of the image does not come so much from the detail, but comes from the colors, the shapes, you know, the form. Right, exactly. And it's very interesting that you say that, because as the artist, the creator, you are the one that makes these decisions. What is the focus of the, uh, the painting or the drawing or the photograph? You're the one that decides what's important and what the viewer should be looking at. I don't think beginners realize that they're the ones that have all of this control. Well, they don't have any control. Right. And right. so well, without true. any control, everything matters. Right. right. You know? And you find the same thing in any activity. Yes, you know? I agree. Everything matters. You've got to do everything perfect, not realizing that in any given situation, only a certain number of things really matter. The rest uh, don't matter. You know? Right. But it's difficult in visual arts because there isn't really a way to measure. That's the thing. In music, if you play off key and the teacher says, you really got to play in key or you got to stop doing these missed notes, you know, these quacks and so on. Everybody pretty much understands that, yeah, that's a no-no, you know. Right. But in art, if you say, well, the colors are not balanced, everything is oversaturated, there is nothing to raise the eye, it's so intense that it's giving me a headache, they're like, that's my style. Well, no, that's because you just crank up saturation. You know? Right. It's, it's not your style. It's, it's also the style of everybody that begins, you know. Yeah. They go in Lightroom or Photoshop and they just crank up saturation, you know. In a sense, it's the same mistake as the music player that would have missed notes. Except with music, we have a way of measuring that. But in visual art, we don't. You know? Right. And so developing a sense of aesthetic is really important. It is. And the only way you can do it is really by saying, okay, this is what matters to me. You know, I want a well-balanced color photograph with a balance between the high saturation areas and the low saturation areas. And at that point, once you start to go down that road, where you start to ask yourself, well, how do I do that? Then there is answers. Yes. It starts with the question. Right. And the minute you ask the question properly, the way I just said it, then there is answers. And the answer is that in order to balance a high saturation area with a low saturation area, is you're going to have a larger area of low saturation for a small area of high saturation. Right. Because a high saturation demands a lot of attention on the part of the viewer. And if everything is high saturation, it's very tiring and very boring very quickly. But if you balance with quantity, then all of a sudden it's more organized and it's more visually pleasant. Right. That takes years. You know? It does. It's not intuitive. It's not easy. It's a whole lot easier to just crank up saturation randomly over the whole image than to say I'm going to have 10% saturation that is high and then 90% of saturation that is low. Right. Because that's much more sophisticated and that leaves open the question of what is going to be high saturation and what's going to be low saturation, and what level of saturation the two are going to have. Right. right? That demands mastery, and that puts that, people to work. Oh, now yes. they have a goal, and they have to work at it, and that's not going to be easy. Right. As opposed to just cranking saturation randomly and being done in a few minutes and oh, yeah. looking at people and saying, what do you think? Well, what I think is anybody can do that. Right. You know? Well, in art, that's what we call a visual balance mm -hmm. in regards to color. The example I like to give when teaching visual balance is the flower, the Indian paintbrush, because it's such a vivid red out in nature right. that if you photograph it in open shade against large granite boulders, for example, that the tan color of the granite boulders are going to balance all of that vibrant red of the Indian paintbrush yeah, exactly. visually. Right. Ideally. Ideally. <laughs> but yes. it's not going to be automatic. Because no. Lightroom or Photoshop, however one that you use, let's just say Lightroom because that's what most people use, Lightroom doesn't know the difference between the Indian friend brush and the boulder. That's true. And so if you push the saturation slider to the right, which is oversaturation, it's going to oversaturate everything. Right. There has to be masking involved in order to reduce the saturation of some areas. And that's the big difference between the beginner and the advanced photographer is local contrast or local color saturation adjustments. Right. The beginner does global, the advanced no, photographer the beginner do, yes. does local. Yes, you know. exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. But we do it in order. You do global first, then local second. The beginner, when you point that out, that they can't do just global, then they go into local everything right away. 
mm-hmm. not realizing that that's also the key to actually completely unbalance the scene. Right. Because we treat every area separately, not realizing that you actually don't want to start there. You want to start global and then move to local. So there's a sophistication of the processing that happens over time as the goal becomes clearer in your mind. Right. The clarity of the goal is really the problem. And that shows the whole challenge of creating a personal style. If you don't have any goals, then the personal style isn't going to happen. Right. Because automatically your goal becomes whatever artist you were influenced with and you want to do what they did. Right. right. Not knowing how they did it, not knowing why they did it, and not knowing or not understanding that you're not them in the first place. <laughs> you know? I can't do Ansel Adams because I'm not Ansel Adams. I can't do anybody else. It doesn't matter who it is. I mean, we use Ansel Adams because he's the most famous photographer. I can't do anybody else except me. You know? Right. I can be influenced, I can like the work of other people, but eventually the only work I can do is the work that is mine, you know, because there's only one of me. And uh, being an artist is finding out you know, exactly what you like, what you want to do, and, and so on. That's the whole challenge of personal style. That's why so few people can realize a personal style, because they never really ask themselves, what is it that I like? Yeah. What they like is the work that impresses them and doing the same. That doesn't work very long. You know? No. If it works at all. And you can waste years really trying that. And you need help. You need somebody to tell you whether you're on the wrong track or the right track. So to conclude, yes. what do we say? Do not seek perfection and to do what you love to do? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the sooner you can let go of the desire to be perfect, the sooner you actually look inside you as opposed to outside of you. Because perfection is an idea that's outside of you. Right. You have to let things be, you know, you are who you are, that's it. You have to be able to live with that. I'm starting to believe that people that seek perfection endlessly are not happy with themselves. Right. I mean, you see that in, uh, I mean, young people, you know, that want to look like a celebrity. Their body might not be the right shape or they might not have certain features and they go and have plastic surgery. They modify themselves in order to become somebody else. Mm-hmm. And they think that if they do that, then they'll be happy, but it doesn't work that way. You have to be happy with what you have, you know. Yeah. You know, and I think it's the same in art. You can't be another artist any more than you can have the body of another person. Right. You know, you, you have to be happy with what you have. And so the question is, what do I have, right? Yes. You know, what is it that I have that is really important to me? And uh, foster that, you know, develop that. Right. right. As opposed to starting with an ideal that's outside, external to you, and trying to become that ideal. It's a difficult lesson. Because it demands that you have a lot of uh, self-confidence. Right. You know, that, that you start by being content with what you have and not seeking something you, which you don't have. I mean, no matter who you are in art, there's going to be things that are really easy for you to do and things that are almost impossible for you to do. You know? Oh, yeah. And if you try to do the things that are impossible, you're going to be frustrated. On the other hand, the things that are easy, they come naturally. The problem is people say, well, that's easy, so it has no value. No, it's easy. It doesn't mean that it has no value. It's easy for you. It may be very difficult for somebody else. Right. right? And we see that in students. We point to something that works, and they're like, well... That's too easy. uh, That's not why I'm here. I can do that blindfolded. Yeah, well, (laughs) that is why you're here. You're here to hear me tell you that's what matters. That's what's unique to you. That's the thing that you can do that's obviously extremely easy for you for whatever reason. Maybe you've worked on it for a long time. Maybe it was in net. I don't know. But it's very easy for you. But don't get it twisted. It's very difficult for other people. Right. And that's what makes you unique. And so I think the decision of focusing on what you do intuitively is really what matters. You know? Yes, I agree. You know, as opposed to focusing on things that are difficult that you can't do, thinking, I have to be able to do that. No, you don't have to be able to do that. Right. You know? It's something that you may never be able to do. I mean, look at how many people want to do Cartier-Bresson, you know, capturing the decisive moment in a scene. It's an art form that a lot of people don't have. They don't have the ability to know when a bunch of people reach a certain level of intensity and that's the time to take the photo. They have no idea. It's it's not a skill that's automatic because you buy a particular camera or you you want to be a particular person. Right. I mean, Leica makes a fortune out of that, selling cameras, saying to people, if you have a Leica and you use a 35mm lens, you're going to become Cartier-Bresson. No, you have a camera, you have a 35mm lens, and you spend $10,000. That's for sure. Right. But you're still yourself. Right. (laughs) You're now yourself with a Leica and a 35mm lens. You're not Cartier-Bresson, and you never will be. There's never going to be another one. Right. That's it. Yeah. You know, he knew what he was, and he did uh, what he did because of that. 
right. Iran that's killed. You know, is it a scheme that's unique? Probably not, but he made the most out of it, and it's been done, and let's move on, you know. I mean, I, I see so many photographs from people that are trying to do what he did that are so boring that even though I'm not trying to do that, I can see where they actually went wrong, you know. Yeah. People staring at the lens, you know, asking them to pose, you know. He did none of that. He just had a skill. We have to leave it at that. Yes. We can't improve on it, you know. Right. And his concept of perfection was actually that there was no perfection. People do things and you capture them, you know. Right. <laughs> Simple as that, you know. And it's the same with landscape photography. It's the same with a lot of things. What's interesting to people is that you can do something which to you comes naturally. Right. Not that you do something which is as good as somebody else. You know, it's been done. Let's move on, you know. You really like these artists, just go buy their work, you know. Right. <laughs> Even if it's very expensive, it's less expensive than having to spend years and years uh, trying to be as good as them, which I don't think you can. And it doesn't make you happy. You know, no. That's the thing. Eventually, I think we make art because it makes us happy, so might as well make the art that makes us happy, you know, yes. whatever that is. You know. There's always going to be somebody to like what you do. Obviously, it's not going to be the people that like something else. Right. That's the problem. Right. Know. And that, I think, is part of the problem with perfection, is as you try to duplicate the work of somebody else, the people that you're going to show that work to are people that like the work of that somebody else. Yeah. So they are going to have the same standards. They are going to compare your work to the work of that other person. Yes. I agree. And it's constantly going to be frustrating because we are constantly going to say, well, you're getting close, but this here, that here. You're not there yet. Yeah, you're not there yet. You know. and, and <laughs> so you have to improve on this. You have, you're constantly trying to be perfect. Right. It right. becomes a perfection-seeking process. You know, yeah. With no end in sight. Because one day you think you're there, you see another photo, you're like, oh, God. I can't do this. Right. So then you go back to the drawing board. You have to learn how to do this. Right? Start all over again. Yeah, start all over again. It's not a process of self-discovery. It's right. a process of discovering how another person did their work. Right. And that's completely opposite to what I think is the goal of art, which is self-discovery. Exactly. You, you want to discover who you are, what you can do that nobody else can do. Right. And you don't do that. What's by, unique to you. Yeah, what's unique. What is it that you can do that nobody else can do? Right. And that thing, whatever it is, is going to be very close to the things that you can do without any effort. Right. You know, the things that come naturally. You know. I mean, look at how many people we have on workshops that use a tripod. And now in Antelope Canyon, you can't use a tripod. So they have to shoot handheld. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, I never liked a tripod. Yeah, but yesterday you complained that you couldn't use a tripod. Oh, yeah. And now that you tried with the tripod, you find out that you never like tripods. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that for you, shooting handheld comes in much more naturally than shooting on a tripod. Right. So shouldn't you just get rid of your tripod right now, you know, and move on, right? That to me is a very interesting insight, you know. Oh, yeah. Why do people use tripods? Because they think they have to. That's how good photographs of landscapes are done. No, that's how good photographs of landscapes in a certain style are done. They don't have to be done that way necessarily. Right. Know? Does that mean things are going to be different when you don't use a tripod? Of course. You don't have the stability, so you're going to have to use shutter speeds that don't go down below a certain point. You know, 130 for a second might be the limit. You can't use four second exposure handheld, and you probably can't use anything below 130 for 115. You probably have to reduce depth of film because uh, obviously you can't use F22 if it's dark, you know. But that doesn't mean you can't take a good photo at a wider opening with a higher shutter speed. You're just going to take a different photo. Right. That nixes it if you're trying to duplicate the work of somebody that did everything on a tripod. But, you know, that wasn't you in the first place. Right? right. This obsession with perfection is always related to duplicating work that impressed you that was done a certain way, and so you have to do it that certain way. Right. But it never was asked whether that certain way was your way or not. I mean, you find that in writing, you find that in music, you find that in everything. You know, people that want to write the way another writer wrote until they realize that they can't say what they have to say because the way that other writer wrote <laughs> isn't their way. And then the absolute realization is when people realize that the most famous artists are full of imperfection. I mean, Proust, right? Marcel Proust wrote sentences that goes on for pages. Is it perfect? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, you go ask any grammar teacher, they'll say, no, you know, every sentence has to have one thought. That's one way of looking at writing, right? right. But you, you write a sentence with a single thought, a single idea. Well, you listen to Proust, or you read Proust, and uh, 
there's many, many thoughts in one sentence because over two or three pages, you just can't carry the same thought. It's right. not possible. So that same sentence goes on and on into different thoughts, different ideas, different things that he's talking about. Is that perfect? Well, that's what makes Proust. That's what makes it unique. It's not a question of whether it's perfect or not. It's whether it works, right? And it does work. Because when I read Proust, the fact that it's a very long sentence, obviously, pages and pages, with multiple thoughts, makes me completely lost. I mean, I forget what he started talking about. Oh, right? yeah. I have yeah. to go back and reread it. Like, okay, wait a second. And then yeah. I have to go back and reread. Well, you can do that. Or you can, <laughs> or you can say, right, you, you can do that. You can go back and reread it and try to follow the thread, which eventually turns out to be futile. Right. Because you can't. Or you can say, you know, screw it. Let's just read. Right? Just keep going. Just keep going. And when you do that, when you keep going, you keep reading, you don't try to really remember everything that he said, you realize something very interesting. And that is, you're now in a state of uh, meditation almost. You know, yes. Where I think that's where Proust wants you to be. Right. You know, he wants you to be in a state where you're actually reminiscing. Right. And when you reminisce, you start with one idea and you move on to another one and you end up very far from the first idea. Right. That's what Proust's writing does. And obviously that's his goal because he's talking about the memory of things past. Right. And you can't remember things past without being pretty messy. So the writing matches the goal. It does. Is it perfect? That's not the idea. The idea is that the means serve the goal. Right? It does. It is a means to an end. Right. Like me, if I want to create a photograph that looks like a painting, I've got to get rid of detail. And so is that perfect? Well, I mean, if perfection is having lots of detail, it's imperfect. But if the goal is to match a painting with a photograph, then that's the means to an end, getting rid of detail. It's always the goal that's going to take you away from the desire to be perfect and create your own new idea of perfection. For Proust, perfection was not the length of the sentence. It was being able to write in such a way that the reader became sort of almost unaware that you're reading, where what you're reading now becomes something that you're living. Mm -hmm. You're living these memories. You're getting to a state, uh, almost like a trance, where you no longer really know what is happening. You're just remembering. And if you read Proust in a very intense manner, you get to the point where you actually start to think of your own past. You do. And that's the idea. If you can experience something personal while you're reading somebody else's text, that's quite a feat. Right. It's very difficult to achieve. You know, the opposite of Proust is Hemingway, where every sentence is a thought, and every sentence is extremely simple, and very calculated, very crafted. And... uh, you get to a writing which is much more intense, you know, much more active, much more involved, where you can follow very clearly what is happening. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea of Hemingway is to actually get you to be in that state where you're living the experience of somebody else. Hemingway is not trying to get you to understand things about yourself that you forgot. Right. He's trying to get you to understand something that he knows has happened and he wants to share it and make sure that you get to the point. With Hemingway, you're totally attached to the text. With Proust, you become very distant from the text. Yes. Are they both perfect or imperfect? It doesn't matter. It's completely besides the point. There's a lot of interesting insights, you know, about perfection. And the most important one is that perfection doesn't matter. Right. You know, that's not the idea. That's not the goal. Which shows how wrong beginners are seeking perfection as the goal. If you make perfection the goal, you're sort of missing the point of art. Yes. Because art is about... Exploring. Yeah. It's not about this duality, perfect or imperfect. Right. Right. The problem of the duality of perfect versus imperfect is you get locked in it. There's really no way out. You know, it's either perfect or imperfect. And neither is possible. You can't have something which is completely imperfect. And you can't have something which is completely perfect. So you have put the duality in the wrong way. So the solution is to create a new duality, because dualities are very, very useful in understanding just with anything. And the duality that you want to put, for example, I mean, it can be a lot of different things, but one that is an interesting one is to ask yourself, well, is it me or not? You know, is it me or is it other? So if the duality is me versus other, then all of a sudden things start to click, because you want to be you. And so if you're trying to be something else, something other, then obviously that's not working. So that duality, me versus other, you know, the self versus the other, then becomes really a key to understanding how to create art. You don't want to be the other. You want to be you.
And at this point, perfection in perfection becomes completely besides the point, because if you want to be you, by nature, you are imperfect compared to others. Yes. And that's no longer a concern. So you can get very philosophical about it. I don't know if you want to finish it. No, I think that's pretty much what we wanted to talk about regarding perfection. I mean, it's not really a subject that you can conclude. You can't really say, I think we covered the subject. You know, you have to keep it open. You know, it's more a subject of reflection than a subject of uh, affirmation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. I think it's something that we need to think about when we do our work and... It's for everybody to draw their own conclusion, yeah, I think. I think Come so. to their own uh, understanding of it. Right, yeah. right. It's not something that you can yeah. really say, this is what you need to do. And yeah. We're so used to having uh, answers to questions that are finite, because we live in a highly technological society. And so, you know, if you make a mistake with your computer, well, if you do this control or this command, then it will work. And if you do that one, then it won't work. But this is not computers, this is life, and this is art, and it has a whole lot to do with uh, what you personally believe is right and wrong. Right. There isn't a recipe out there that can help people find out who they are. (laughs) You know, there's no magic button, there's no control command. It's a matter of reflection, and it takes years, you know. And I think it starts by asking yourself the question of what you want to do with your work. Right. What is it that you want to express? What matters to you? What doesn't matter to you? Right. Making these choices. You know, making a list probably, you know. Right. I always tell people that finding out what you like is not just a matter of asking yourself what you like. It's also a matter of asking yourself what you don't like. Right. You know, because once you look at it from both sides, uh, what you like and what you don't like, you very often find out that a lot of the things that you assume you really like as a whole, there's a whole lot of things in them that you don't like. Right. You know? You might like some type of photography that requires a tripod, and then you realize you don't like using a tripod. Right. Well, that's a big discovery right there, because that type of photography is impossible without a tripod. So you've been trying to do something which, in a sense, was never something that was you. Yeah. You know. So it's really important to, uh, to reflect on all of that. And also never forgetting the fact that you can create different types of photographs, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, Dali made very different types of artwork, from the very precise to the completely loose. And he was fine with everything, because they have different goals. You can do something very quickly, or you can do something very slowly. And obviously it's not going to result in the same look, right? I mean, drawing, you can make a 10-second drawing, or you can make a two-hour drawing. And obviously they are not going to be the same. No. You know? And uh, the question is, can you carry the same style from the 10 seconds to the 2 hours? That's the main question. And at that point, it's obviously not the time span that's going to be the factor. It's the style. It's how it's, it's, it's painted or how it's drawn. Because with Dali, for example, we see the same quality, the same style, whether it's leaning on a piano or whether it's uh, one of the blockprints that obviously were done much faster, you know. So... That's where the talent comes in, you know, where you can carry a style even though your approach is very different, you know, in terms of how long you spend on it. But the fundamentals are the same, right? It's still surrealism, right? Mm-hmm. With me, whether I make a photograph that takes me several hours or a photograph that takes me a few minutes, the colors still matter. Right. right. The form matters, right? I'm not going to put more detail because it's bigger or because it takes longer. I'm just going to work on the colors differently. Maybe I'll have more refined colors, but uh, I know that even in a quick uh, photograph, I'm going to still want to balance the colors, regardless. So you can work longer on something and keep the same style, or you can work in a quicker manner on something and keep the same style. And at that point, that's where you start to realize that you're really focused on yourself, because you're trying to carry the same style, your style, across basically an approach or approaches that are very different and that's difficult right. and at this point you completely let go of your external world it doesn't matter because you're focused on maintaining a consistent look or a consistent style on things that are created quickly or things that are created slowly that's very often lost on photographers you know that a photographer basically very often believes that photographs have to be done over a certain time if you spend two hours in the dark room, there's no way you can have the same result in 10 minutes. Or if you spend two hours or two days in Photoshop or Lightroom, there's no way you can get the same style in two minutes. You should. 
you can't get to the same level of refinement, but you can get to the same general idea as far as what's important. And that's an exercise in itself. You know, it's actually a very good exercise. Try to have the same style quickly and slowly. Because to do that, you have to narrow it down to what really matters. Oh, yeah. Right? And being able to nail down these things that matter very quickly, if, you, if it's a short duration time for the work, or deciding that you're going to push it further and add more refinement for the longer piece. Right. right. But you should be able to get to the same level very quickly. You know. That's the interesting thing with photography, that it's very stilted in a way. You know, that it doesn't have the freedom of painting. Or, I mean, look at music. Right? Can you play the same tune with one instrument or with an entire band? Of course you can. I mean, John Lennon composed on the piano, and then the songs were then orchestrated with a complete band. But the tune is the same, whether it's one instrument or 20, you know. That's called orchestration. You should be able to recognize the style of somebody, even if it's a simple piece. And in photography, one way to do that is actually projects where the style is carried over onto, let's say, 12 or 24 photographs. The style should still be present if you have a single photograph. Right. right. Well, and I think that was the purpose of doing those very fast drawings, is that you only had a certain amount of time to nail it, whether it was movement or the shape of something. You had to look at it, and you had to decide quickly what was important. Yeah, and I think when people start, let's say, drawing, and they go from drawing quickly, you know, making a 10-second drawing to making a two-hour drawing, what goes is their style, that the immediate quality of a 10-second drawing gets lost in the two-hour drawing. And it takes a lot of years to understand that when you have more time, the goal is not to hide what you created in a 10-second drawing, it's to refine it. Yes, because it still should be visible. Should be yours. What, what yeah. was in that 10-second drawing should be visible in that two-hour drawing. Yeah. Whether it's a line, a paintbrush stroke, whatever it is. And that comes from being able to nail down the things that are really the fundamental aspects of your style in the 10-second drawing. Yes. And then refining them in the two-hour drawing. Right. And it's the same in photography. Right. And, you should, and you're right. You should be able to see that it's the same person. The same in photography. The same you person cannot, did right? this, did this. You can only do that if you know what is the fundamental aspects of your style. Yes. If it's color, then color should be there in a 10-second processing thing or in a two-hour processing right. thing. Obviously, the two-hour processing thing, you can go into a whole lot more sophistication because you have more time. But the immediacy of the very quick processing should be still there. It should nail down very quickly the most important aspects. Right. You know, what's going to be saturated, what's not going to be saturated, for example. Yes. Right? Yes. Two hours, well, you can go into very sophisticated processing where, you know, instead of having one area that's very saturated and one area that's unsaturated, you can have both same two areas with different levels of saturation within each area. Well, the quick one, you would have maybe one or two colors, so you can increase the number of colors. But the focus on color should be there in the first place, right? Yeah, you may not just have the full range because you have to work fast. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to go to that level of complication because right. you don't have the time. No. Right? People think that if I have more time, I make it better. No. If you no. have more time, you make it more sophisticated. You add more things to it, you know, whether it's detail or variation of colors or sophistication of color. But if your style is to have a balance of colors, that balance should be there in the first place. Yes. Even if it's a very quickly done yeah. thing. Right. And that's, to me, mastery, you know, where you shouldn't really look at time as being what you need in order to do what you do. You should look at time as being an opportunity to refine and sophisticate what you do, but what you do can be done quickly as well, right? A drawing by Picasso that's a few second drawing is Picasso, and a painting that took him hours or days is also a Picasso. The same qualities are present. It's very easy to lose your style as you spend more time on something. Just like it's very easy to lose your style if you don't have enough time to do something. But not everything has to take hours. Not everything has to take uh, days, you know. And we see it with projects. You know, a mini project should be representative of your style just as much as a long project should be representative of your style. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things with beginners is that if they don't have the time, if you don't give them as much time as they want, they can't do anything because they really have to think about it. 
they don't have this immediate ability to just nail down whatever it is that characterizes their style. It takes them forever. And obviously, there's the fear that if you don't have enough time, then you can't do a good job. Right. And that fear comes from the fact that they don't know that if you do something quickly, you're going to nail down the most important aspects of your style right away. You don't have the time. Right. You just right. don't have the time. Right. If your style demands two hours, then you have a problem. Well, yeah, and you better yeah. figure out what your project is going to be about, and you better get focused, and you better start shooting now. <laughs> right. Well, in terms of shooting, definitely, you know. But in terms of processing, I think a lot of people are like, there's no way I can do that quickly. Well, there should be a way. Because if you know what your style is, you know, what are the fundamental aspects of your style, you should be able to put that in immediately, and then if you don't have more time, you're done. If you have more time, you can refine it. But that demands that you know what your fundamentals are. Mm-hmm. You know? I agree. I mean, the same with composition. You know, you can draw a composition very quickly, you know, just like you can compose an image very quickly, and you can refine that composition if you have more time. But if you don't, that composition should be good to start with if that's your characteristic. So there's really a lot of dimensions here. And as we talk about this, whether people agree or not with what we're saying, what's obvious is that very quickly we move away from this idea that we have to reach perfection. And we move closer and closer to the idea that we just have to be ourselves. And that starts with knowing what it is that we are, you know, that we want. And I think that's where the exercises come in and where they help. Mm-hmm. The skills enhancement oh, exercises. Yeah. Well, everybody practices. You know, so, I sure. think uh, that's where all the practice comes in. Yeah. And you shouldn't be afraid to show your practices, you know, because after all, progress comes from being able to share what you do, you know. Oh, yeah. If it's I agree. you. Right? It's you, regardless of whether you did it with the intent of having a major show or with the intent of just having fun for a few minutes or a few hours. Right. The idea that you can only be yourself and show yourself at your best if you have all the time in the world is what makes people procrastinate. Right. You know, they can never show anything because they need another day, another week, another month, right. another year. You know. I mean, we had a student that took one year to actually do the print review. Well, actually, it was... Yeah, More like a year, year and a yeah. half. And I'm not saying that that was totally his fault. You know, there was the isolation time, you know, the pandemic, and it took him a long time to uh, actually take everything sorted out. But still, you know, if I do something quickly, somebody wants to look at it, fine. I don't have a problem with that. If they say it's not perfect, well, that never was the idea. You know, you can't do something quickly and seek perfection. And in the first place, it's not the goal at all. The goal is to do what matters to me. It's amazing how many people do art, not realizing that the goal of art is to express yourself and not to express uh, the ability to do as well as another person. You know, Art is a space where you have the opportunity to do whatever it is that you want to do. And uh, it's just amazing how many people don't take advantage of that and decide to do something that was already done. You know, It's unfortunate. Because I think, in a sense, eventually as they progress, they realize that they have to distance themselves and do what it is that matters to them. So why not start there? There's not more to be learned, <laughs> you know. You're going to make the same mistake no matter what, right? Anyway, that concludes our discussion on perfection. And uh, we hope you listen to our next podcast whenever it comes out. <laughs>